welcome to the show Off the Record. Uh, I'm here today with Jordi Torres, the CEO and founder of Inventa, a new class of enterprise AI and semantic search technology for e-commerce and customer support. Jordi, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Well, Aram, thank you so much for having me here. I'm really, I'm really glad you invited me. No problem. So the first question I always like to ask is always different, but it's some sort of icebreaker question. Um, so I, I, I remember speaking to you and, and seeing that you, you went to Harvard and you did um, uh, a program there. What was your experience? Was it, do you think it's overrated, you know, in 2022? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so that... <laughs> That was uh, maybe uh, I don't know twelve years ago. So that was uh, that was back, and and it was not like a, a long program. It was a, a short education program. It was um, um, a program called um, um, Education for Professional Services or Managing Professional Services Companies. That's mm. uh, that's uh, that was the kind of the name of the of the program. So I had the opportunity to be there. And uh, I got to tell you, um, and I've been in other um, higher education. I also had my MBA, of course, college. But that's my personal experience. These guys there are rock and roll stars. That I can tell you. I, there, it was, uh, every class was um, magic. And uh, these guys know what they do. They are, they are probably paid very well because otherwise they would be somewhere else but my experience being there is that this this teacher as are these teachers are, are really something it's absolutely worth um listening to their to their stories how they how they deal with a class how they interact with uh, with the students so for me it was a 10 over 10 but um, okay. maybe now people say it's overrated i don't know that's uh, my experience as i said from from 12 years ago perfect perfect and would you say that there's any um for anybody listening, I don't know on the show, would, would you ever say to anybody that it might not make sense to go there, or that, or is it like you think it's can be applicable to you know anybody generally? Yeah, in my particular case, um, it was a very condensed program, as I said, very uh, specialized in leading professional services, um, which is a is a very uh, special topic and very specialized. Uh, you are leading a professional services company, right? Uh, right. Now I'm more in the software as a service the space, but back in time I was in the also in the professional services uh, kind of leadership role, and that helped me a lot. That helped me a lot understand the dynamics, the psychology, the economics, um, everything related related to that. And uh, to me, it helped. It really helped me a lot. And it was pricey. I think well, it was a condensed program, so after all, it was not that expensive if you look at the value that I got out, out of it. So it's for me, it's a totally a go. <laughs> for you, it's a total, a total go. Perfect. Okay. Um, so through your time um, uh, building Inventa, and we'll talk about it uh, uh, a bit later in um, in the episode. What are the, some of the lessons over the last ten years that you wish you could have told yourself uh, back then about how to start your company, how to focus, how to manage it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in my particular case, right, and then we have uh, we have said that already. I uh, transitioned from being a, a professional services, like a consulting business, into a sovereign service. And as as such, coming from consulting, 
my number one obsession was the customer, right? Customer is first. Customer knows better. The customers is uh, is the most important thing, and maybe it is. But then when you transition to software, um, then product it's is what it gets a lot more important, and then you you find yourself in this uh, economy on saying okay what should I now do? Invest in making that project for this specific customer successful or invest this energy in making my product better? And I think that one of the lessons is, um, is well, if you have your product ready, then projects are going to be easier. So so it's hard. It's a hard decision sometimes to, to say, okay, I have talent where I dedicate this talent in, in making my product better or uh, especially in the space of B2B, uh, mm-hmm. doing great projects with my customers. And I, if I could come back and I say, hey, Jordi, concentrate more on the product because that's what, that's what matters. That's, uh, don't, don't worry much about that customer that you have today, which is very important, but think about the customers that you don't have. And, and this is when the vision on the product sites uh, the product side is more is more is more important. Interesting. And so, what what was the what was like the main driver for you when you went and pivoted from being a professional service company to being a SaaS company? Like, what was the motivation there? Well, I would say it's it's uh, for me that's a, a dream come true, right? I've been uh, you know this uh, I've been. Uh, born and raised in, in Barcelona, right? So coincidentally where you are now, right? Okay. <laughs> and uh, I've been, you know, studied computer science. So I've been in, the, in, in computers for, for, for a long time. And um, in all my professional career, uh, technology comes from the US and then Europe consumes that technology, right? Uh, that's been, it's been like that for, for, for a long time. But then software as a service, broke all that and say, hey, now anyone can build a successful technology company. So we saw that opportunity. We saw that we were solving uh, problems for our customers that would make sense to, to productize. And then I thought, uh, hey, that's my opportunity. It's now or never. Now's my opportunity to jump out of the consulting, which is what I have been doing for a long time, into a new uh, realm uh, called called product, right? And, and software as a service, which I saw back then as a paradise because as you know right paradise is always somewhere else right so i said well you know consulting this is you know you you have to work every day um to get your dollar paid and you never you never build anything with product is amazing you build a product and that's it and then they're going to pay you for that product and i have to do i don't have to do anything right (laughs) Uh, of course, that's sleep, right? of course is not the case, right? You work a lot, anyways. But uh, yeah, that was that was my a dream that was able to to uh, to to do by pivoting the company and and realizing that what we were doing for our customers was very much product. You know, we could build a product out of it. And so, I mean, as I know, like right now, I'm running this professional service company or studio, and you know, some of the things I think about if I was to go. Uh, and create a product of our own is the risk potentially associated of sacrificing maybe like higher revenue coming in through these professional service work to 
making a bet on a SaaS play. So how did you do that risk uh, tolerance kind of analysis? Because I'm sure you were making you know, lots of revenue as a business at that time. Did you do it as a gradual like rollover so that you could maintain uh, your business, uh, you know, from like a, uh, you know, a cash flow operation perspective? Like, how did you kind of deal with that? Yeah, very, very good question. In our case, uh, the idea of moving away from professional services into a product, of course, was not a one rush one night idea right it was it was cooking over time and uh and basically the final transition out of consulting and into SaaS happened uh, for us around 2010 but before that what happened in spain i'm talking basically the, the spain right it was as, as you may know was a, at that time was a country very much dependent on the real estate industry, right? Mm -hmm. So there was a crisis. The crisis that happened in the U.S. by 2007 impacted uh, Spain uh, hard, uh, basically one year later, and there was a big crisis. So what was happening is all these consulting operations, well, there was, there was less work and therefore less professional services, less revenue, and therefore... That uh, was the time to take a decision. It's like, should we downsize? Should we, you know, basically let people go and adjust the 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 company to this new reality, or use the the fantastic talent that we have, keep it, and uh, investing our own cash reserves into building that product, and then as quick as possible in, in, uh, try to sell it, right? And that's what we did. Basically, we reinvest. Our, our reserves, our cash position that we had accumulated during our, our uh, consulting time. And, uh, but, but it was, it was a, a jump. You're totally right. It's a, you say, well, if that, if that doesn't go well, phew, it's going to be a lot, a lot of money lost. Mm -hmm. So you are, you are totally right. That's a, it's a, a jump of, of faith that you have to do. And, uh, and again, right, uh, later on, when you, you, you have a, finally a new customer, arrives it's like okay should i ask this engineer that i have that is really good um helping with this customer or should i keep the guy for the company to keep on building the product and that's that's when you when you have the big decision and as i said we invested in the product if i would come back i would say you have to invest more because now i know now i know it works of course that was less clear back then right yeah. And so um, when uh, you, when this, you know, macro situation was happening in the economy and needed to like change, um, how much runway did you kind of give yourself or like how much time did you give, you know, yourself as a CEO to determine whether or not it's going to be successful or not? And, and, and then my follow up question would be, when did you then need to go to investors to get some, you know, some funding to continue like the, f the operation of the business? So in, in my case, say what we say is like, okay, what, you know, you know, the classic idea of the minimum viable product, right? That's, mm. that's the thing. Um, in, my in, in my case, I would say uh, not an MVP, but a MSP, right? A minimum sellable product, right? Which is... <laughs> <laughs> 
what um, am I going to have to 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 sell this for the for the first time? And I remember kind of a one month after we started building things, there was this one opportunity of one customer, right? So we went there with our USB memories and installing all that, uh, competing with other better established products. And we would say, hey, yes, we have a product we want to show you. And that was a disaster, right? And we didn't, we didn't win, of course, because mm-hmm. the product was buggy. Um, but at the same time, I saw, hey, we, we, can, we failed, but we were close to not failing. So we are not that far out. So let's say, okay, maybe one month, a couple of guys is too extreme. But four or five guys for four or five months, we can have something sellable. We, we were all about to sell something, right? So um, I think that the, 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 in, in, in my head, it was like a um, um, time frame of time and and number of resources and say okay this is this is what uh, what i'm going to dedicate after that time if these sales are not materialized uh i don't know you have to do like uh, b2c like back to consulting <laughs> <laughs> i've never heard that before b2c back to consulting i'm like thinking where is he going with this b2c business to consumer <laughs> That's back to consulting. I love it. I love it. It's like when all else fails, go back to consulting. Uh, exactly. Exactly. Okay. okay. Now, very interesting. Now, thanks for sharing with that. Um, yeah, because it's always a, a tricky thing, right? Um, you're kind of cannibalizing, you know, existing business um, if you're a professional service company going to software, and so I'm always curious to see how people do it. Um, and then, so from that time when you kind of like had that minimal syllable product. Um, what other validation did you need to do or to prove to yourself to then warrant going and raising money to then either scale out the business um, or hire more people to like go maybe up market or whatever? Yeah. So also in, in our peculiar case, right? We are, we are not a, a Silicon Valley a startup surrounded by money it's not it's not it's not been our our case right we're talking about uh, well you know the city barcelona right so it's, it's uh, now there is an entrepreneur and startup ecosystem but not 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 much back then so we first went international so we're starting uh, operations in france because it's around around the corner and then in Brazil because of uh, similarities with the, with the language. So these were our first uh, international operations. And the way we structured that was um, with kind of a, um, also entrepreneurship. So I, I found of this great guys who had like a, um, the idea of starting a business in another country. So, so I say, okay, we're gonna, now you have Inventa in Spain I'm going to be the Jordi in France, right? So, mm. so that's uh, with kind of almost uh, entrepreneurial um, spirit is that how we started our first steps for, for um, internationalization, right? And then uh, I said, oh boy, that's uh, now next step is going to, to, to the U.S. And then uh, with my family, we, we came here, that's now 11 years ago uh, in Silicon Valley to, to start operations here. And then we start, you know, selling Customers, and then is when when um, when investors are interested, when they see something, when they see there is there is activity and there is a, um, a validation based on actual customers and, and brands. And again, right, is another 
another irony here <clears throat> is you will you want these big brands, right? You don't want just uh, a bar here and a shop there. You 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 want a cool, uh, well-known uh, enterprise as customer. Um, so you fight for that. At the same time, they drag your resources as well, right? Because you know, as everybody, you know, their life is also complicated. So they have their own requirements, and they will kind of use the product, but also use your capacity in our case that came from our time as consultants, as professional services, right? So they say, okay, I have both, have the product, but I these guys can tweak the product in a way that serves me. And uh, and then you enter into this, uh, this uh, kind of a sometimes contradiction. And as you said, right, uh, cannibalization, right? It's like, okay, now what it happens is I have two guys in a product and two guys working for customer X. Does that make sense? Um, and so it's all about the strategy and trying to say, okay, what is the kind of product that I that I need to have? And uh, and indeed, is it's always this this uh, duality is like where I what I put the resources. Because irony is when you have these customers, then is when investors are interested, and then is when uh, you have more funds to invest more in the product. So it's at some point you have to jump, let's say, uh, over a cliff. And trying to, you know, get get some customers to get some 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 capital, and uh, being able to to build yourself. That's what is called bootstrap, right? It comes from the expression of of um, putting yourself up by just pulling your your boots, right? It's bootstrap, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's, that's impossible, exactly. That's that's impossible. So yeah. so that's what all about the entrepreneurship is is kind of doing some kind of impossible thing, right? This is with no money, get a product that you can sell that will will then be able to get uh, to get some funding to build the real thing. I want to ask you something you, you mentioned, which is um, dealing with the paradigm of having large customers come in and request or dictate certain features to be built in their product roadmap. Um, how do you, as a CEO, or like if you know your your you know product leader is assessing that to see like to justify doing it or not yeah that's that's that now today this morning i have this call with the, <laughs> with the team it's all the time all the time that because on one hand you want you know what you want to build right it's like oh, that that would be great because you feel there is a gap you feel customers asking for this feature right and you see that the market has something but not as cool as you could build Mm-hmm. And then on the other hand, you have this customer who is telling you, well, I need this, this and that. And um, the and both things have risks. So not building this new feature into in the product might mean not being able to compete in the future. And not building this for that particular customer might need I mean um, losing the customer and uh, and the dread dreaded churn, right? That's that's kind of the the word that uh, every SaaS company is okay. terrified about. It's like oh, no no churn no churn. Well, guess what? Some customers might churn if um, using the product is is um, just not convenient enough, and they might they might go to another another customer. So it's indeed it's it's complex and it requires consensus as well vision 
and um, it's not 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 easy not not easy for for any company so consensus from the team vision from like the leadership anything else you would say yeah probably you have to also build a product in a way that is uh, and we learned that the, the, the along the way right um in a in a flexible way and imagine that you the company is divided into two companies the product company and the professional services mm. so so what you need to have is that your product must be open must be must have apis they must be uh, well documented so the uh, consulting team or the, or the professional service team can build other stuff on top of that can integrate that with other other technologies and you know the apis and all that everybody now is is obviously around that but it was not that um, obvious at the beginning is 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 more now there are startups that they're just offer an api they, they, they don't have much more than that right but um you know at, at some point we we had to to have this this idea of of saying okay we need all of our product must be accessed by APIs. And then these other guys, which happen to be us as well, will be consuming these APIs, but in a way that is well-documented. And in theory, anyone, <clears throat> the customer, a third party, another consulting <clears throat> business would be able to do it too. So okay. so that's that's been kind of a, the, the, the idea on making sure that we have the product with enough APIs, so we can also integrate that with other things, build other other stuff, maybe for for one customer only. And then, yes, you have to have your professional services organization there. That ideally, they they and that's another important thing, right? Is is if you have the if in order to sell your product, you have to give your professional services away for for, for free. Yeah. That's a, that's also a symptom that your product needs needs working right so ideally uh if you sell your product and then on top of that you charge for your professional services then is when you can you can have like this this balance okay wow great thank you um <clears throat> i'm gonna shift gears a gears a bit to something we previously talked about i wanted to ask some questions about that um so in your experience to date, you know, with uh this company and maybe something prior i wanted to ask you how do you um, how do you go about hiring people? Um, you know, when you start off to kind of what you do now in terms of like a process, because I'm sure you've learned a lot in terms of like how to hire, who to hire, when to hire. Are there any kind of, you know, hidden, hidden secrets, um, that help you kind of navigate into like who you bring on? Oh boy. If I, if I had these secrets, man, <laughs> that that would be that would be amazing. Um, what I have learned uh, over over the time is um, you first of all is you have to you have to hire people that are better than you. That's the first thing. That it seems now obvious, right? But um, it was not back in time when when I started as entrepreneur. I had this idea that I was the best anyways, right? So I just need people who would help doing things that I'm doing every day. Um, but they are kind of, I need someone to do this thing because it's boring, I don't need it, whatever, right? And that's not the way who, it works. What, what you need is to hire those who will do things that you cannot do, 
and uh, they they are better than you at their their particular job. So so that's the big lesson here is how can you make sure that you find these guys that are better than you because by definition you don't know because you are not good enough right so so that's uh that's yeah. you know I've, I've learned that the the, the hard way um at, at inventa i have uh for example the, the the first employee that i hired was was a guy out of out of college well today he's a coo so that was a, a 12 out of 10 yeah um one of the first hires uh, is today the, the CTO, so an, an another another great hire. Uh, but along the way, of course, others uh, other hiring, especially when you start, uh, you know, raising money and hiring executives, that is uh, that is a, a, a really complicated time because is when you need to um, to really you know hire folks that will take care of teams that prior. You were, uh, you know, I was taking care. So that's yeah. uh, and uh, and um, yeah, I've 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 been through all kind of uh, horrid stories of doing owing the whole thing really really bad. And lessons, you know, is paying attention, check references, uh, and don't don't rush. Take take time. Take time. Make sure that whoever you are uh, considering, you are. <clears throat> As sure as possible that working together is going to is going to um, add value, and uh, there's no sorry for that, Aaron. I don't have any secret pill or <laughs> anything like that. Just maybe take more time, talk to references, try to imagine how this uh, put put yourself in the shoes of people that have worked before, and uh, still maybe the percentage of of uh, of of uh, good good hires, this is going to be still painfully painfully low. And how how long? I mean, with those um, key leadership role hires that you went through, how long did you? How long were you willing to wait to hire um, the right people? Because you know you mentioned that you know it was difficult. Uh, you might have rushed it and things like that. Um, now. If you were to do it again, how long would you be willing to wait until you bring down the right person? So, to, for example, right in 2017, uh, in in, uh, in two months, I hired five executives. Wow, two months, okay. right? If you look at that now, in six months, I have hired one. So yeah. that that's kind of the 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 proportion right um it takes it takes time and uh it's yeah i mean of course the sooner the better but um it takes it takes time and uh so so that's you can see the proportion right of 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 time investing now yeah and so earlier you mentioned that when you went uh from barcelona into your these markets you mentioned france and brazil you said that when you went to france you found like a French version of you to run that market, right? Yes. What was like the key characteristics you looked for in that individual who opened up that market? Uh, all right, I'll, I'll tell you the story of, of France. Uh, Luke, Luke is uh, the name of the of the guy. So um, 
this uh, teacher from EADA, EADA is a business school in in Barcelona. You might yeah. you might know it. It's uh, Escuela yeah. something something. It's a, it's a it's a business school, and um, I was teaching there strategy and innovation as a as a part time teacher, right? And very part time, like I don't know, maybe a week, a year, or something like that, right? Wow. Okay. And uh, and then one day, uh, one of the teachers calls me and say, "Hey, how are you? I think I think I have an, an interesting student here. I think it's a thing uh, you." And I was surprised because the guy never called me before or after that, right? So, so I say, "Yeah, let's let's have a conversation with this." Uh, and it happened to be a, a young guy uh, who was uh, French, and that for some reason decided to study business in in Barcelona. And uh, he also was looking for a job. And his original job, or his original idea was to look for something in Spain, right? Mm -hmm. So what I said is, hey, um, you know, uh, for language reasons, it's going to be very hard for you to be a project manager or or some other role in Spain because language is complicated, right? So, So yes, we can use English. Yeah, we can, but French, but, you know, it's your... Your uh, the way you speak Spanish and Catalan, it's uh, it's uh, rusty, right? So it's gonna be it's gonna be hard. However, <laughs> what we could do is, you work here in Barcelona, and from here you start opening the market in France. And uh, there was no WhatsApp in that time. It looks incredible, right? But uh, it was another another time. So we ha- the office we had um, a red phone. A phone that was literally red, and then uh, that was a phone uh, that was a, a French phone number. So everybody knew that that what that phone was ringing. If you pick up the phone, somebody speaking French is going to talk to you. So everybody was like, "Oh no, no, not, not me." <laughs> so Lucas started prospecting from Barcelona, and boy, the guy killed it. So uh, at some point, uh, Lucas says, "Hey, um, you know, it's been fun. Now, you know, I need to come back." Um, with my girlfriend, so we were going back to France, and uh, and I was like, "What what are you going to do in France?" I don't know. I have to look for a job. So I thought, "I have an idea for you. Let's let's build this together." And that's how the story of uh, Inventa and France started. Is and it been it been you know really big 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 companies. Uh, is an amazing team still nowadays there, um, and uh, all all because of that teacher calling one day. Wow, wow, that's crazy. That's yeah. great, great for you for, you know, taking that initiative and, you know, opening up that market with them. So, uh, so it's, it's not like I was looking for something It's like uh, I had the opportunity to yeah, find yeah. someone. So yeah, yeah. Worked that's, out uh, that's the story. Yeah. Like more taking the opportunity. Yeah. Um, just a couple more questions. Um, you, when we chatted last time, you had this interesting saying that I wanted to bring up in this conversation, which was, Say what you think, think what you say. Um, yeah. I don't know if that's, that. that's coined by somebody else. If it is free, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that mean and how, how do you apply it in, in real life? Yeah, it's um, about honesty, right, and transparency. You have to be, you have to be honest all, all the time and, and transparent to, to employees, to investors, to, to, to customers to everybody um, at the same time 
when the you know the word brutally honest, right? So so you have to say you have to think how can you I be honest without the brutally part of it, right? And this is when you think, okay, what is the effect on on the person that I'm talking to that what I'm going to say will have, right? Because you cannot you cannot unsay things. That's another lesson, right? <laughs> you can say anything, but you cannot unsay anything. So um, that's that's about about thinking. Okay, so I know what I want to say. Now let's think how I say it because. Sometimes, depending on how you say things, um, you know, the effect is going to be uh, something that then you might regret, right? So, so that's my, my saying here is, is say what you think, meaning be honest, but right before you say it is think what you say because there's no way back once you have said something. So, so that's the, the, the principle that I, that I try to, to apply. And then there is this common sense is like, hey, it's better to that's a if you you live in Barcelona, right, Aram? Yeah. Okay. So there is a there is a, something that people say there that is better to get red once than get green ten times. Which <laughs> I've never heard which that basically before. yes, which basically means you get red once when I say yeah I screwed with that I'm sorry and and you get red because you were ashamed, right? Hmm. But if you don't say it. Right, and you try to hide, or you lie, or you say something different. That's gonna go after you, and then you're gonna, in a much worse way. And when is when your 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 face is gonna get green because like, oh boy, that's really bad. So it's better to say, you know, get red once, than get green ten times. That's kind of the saying in the in cultural, <laughs> the popular I culture, and that's uh, I also I apply that because it's a hundred percent true. Yeah, no, definitely. You could really see people, you know, really come out for who they are when it's very not exactly, honest. Exactly. And, uh, because if you if you don't, then what happens is the the what I and now uh, sadly, you know, uh, we have uh, all the all the war right the everywhere. But um, yeah. I was I was mentioning the the Chernobyl effect, right? Which is, you know. The disaster happens. Uh, boss calls. What? Uh, what happened? Uh, an explosion. Is it bad? Mm, not. Not that bad. Okay. The boss of the boss. What happened? A little explosion. Nothing to care about. And then goes up, up, and then goes to Gorbachev. And what happened? Nothing. Nothing. We're, everything is fine. <laughs> <laughs> if you have an organization that fears, right? An organization yes. that that fears, uh, and uh, and they say, I'm not going to say that. That's they're going to kill me if that so you in order to have an organization without the chernobyl effect you need to to work on this on this culture is is a something happened let's let's address nobody's going to go after i mean everybody makes mistakes could be you it could be somebody else but um better get red now right that literally green because of radiation (laughs) one month later right yeah so yeah Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, a last question, and I always like asking this at the end, is is there anything you want to share to the audience about your experience in entrepreneurship that we didn't have time to, that you want to make sure you you get out? Yes. I was thinking the other day, right? I have, I have three kids, right? And um, they are, um, the youngest is starting college. 
the oldest already came out of college and uh, we had this conversation and uh, you know they they looking looking for jobs and, and whatnot and what i said is like hey or you could start a business and all three were looking at each other like oh no boy <laughs> <laughs> we have seen this uh-huh. at home for for a long time and uh probably they 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 see the the glory and also the misery around right so so my um, still my 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 advice is um, if you feel that you you can you can do it just go go ahead, which doesn't mean that you will succeed. Actually, most of entrepreneurs uh, fail at one time or another, but uh, just just go ahead, bootstrap, do the impossible. It's yeah. it's fun. It's great. I think it's. I think a lot of people think they could be. Entrepreneurs, and maybe they can with like the right kind of like mindset. But I just feel like at times it's like you're kind of operating or cut from like a different cloth. You know, like you got to be really like uh, willing to take risks that other people would never even consider. So it's it's a, it's very true. Um, it's a tough thing. Like uh, I see so many entrepreneurs trying to get started because they think it's the cool thing to do or it's easy to do that's the worst one oh, oh that's you know that's... Can, <laughs> sounds easy i'm like what are you thinking? you know and you know that that uh and what what is your story how did you uh, become entrepreneur how oh, um, um now we are in I reverse think big, mode yeah yeah reverse mode. i love it uh honestly i think my entrepreneurship kind of path was really um, um, initiated because of my because of my dad, because uh, he's he was an entrepreneur for most of his life, uh, and uh, I saw the difficulties and I saw like the the joys of it, and then I spent a lot of time with him with the on the business side of things, like trying to you know understand what how how he does things and learn, and I just got really fascinated by it. Um, and so when I was thinking, what do I do? Like for me, it was like kind of like no other option I could consider, right? Like entrepreneurship or business is what I would do. Um, and then so right after, you know, when I f- was finishing even my entrepreneurship degree, I took a my first stab in entrepreneurship for three years in a company I created. And I learned more in those three years than I did in my entire university wow. program. Um, realized how hard it is because like I failed miserably. And it really got me thinking, I'm like, okay, how do I do better next time? And I think the driver there was like, okay, always like, what's next? What's like, what can I learn? What can I do better? And um, I just don't see that challenge and like many other things in industry. So that's kind of how I got into it, I would say. Nice. Um, Nice. Thanks for sharing uh, that. Yeah, no problem. And uh, yeah, no, I know when I think about it. Thank you for asking the question, actually. Nobody asked me that question. <laughs> um, that's good. Yeah, I mean, uh, I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, Well, I mean, you're an amazing entrepreneur. You have your own company now uh, living in another country. Uh, it's uh, it's hard. And uh, I, I know it's hard because I've, I've done these things. It's just the countries are not the same. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we kind of flipped uh, Exactly, exactly. Um, I think one other time I'd want to do an episode potentially around is like 
being an entrepreneur with like three kids because we both had three kids and like that's right that's right oh my god like the the reality of it is just so different than what i could could have foreseen it would do or take out of me but no regrets at the end of the day no <laughs> no no absolutely not <laughs> um cool jordy this was fantastic i'll we'll wrap it up here um Thank you so much for your time today and joining us on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, um, uh, thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Arm. Thank you again for, for inviting me. It's been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot already. We are proud.